Well, as I mentioned before, this season of Epiphany is a season in which Christians all over the globe commemorates the beginning of the life and ministry of Jesus in Scripture. And this series, Epiphany, follows the lectionary or the, the common scriptures that Christians of many denominations use from Sunday to Sunday, year to year. These scriptures in the Epiphany, they trace the beginning of Jesus's life and the events. And also, I believe that as we look at these beginning moments in Jesus's life, we can find our own epiphanies. Epiphany, of course, is that aha, that light bulb moment, whereby we discover something about ourselves, about the world, about others, or even about God. And this, this revelation, it bursts forth in our life and illuminates a new way, a new path. And today we read the words of the prophet Isaiah spoken to God's people as a backdrop of Jesus' own baptism and identity. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 3. But now this is what the Lord said. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not Fear, for I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, the flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And we read it from Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 22. In this passage, John the Baptist has had his father, followers gather to be baptized, and John discovers that Jesus wants to be baptized. And we read, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, and was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. O oh God, open our ears to hear your words, open our minds so that we can understand, and open up our hearts to receive your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Many years ago, when I was pastoring in a United Methodist church, one of the other pastors I ministered with would often ask children to gather around in the chancel for a baby's baptism. In addition to the parents and the sponsors or the godparents, all us clergy would lead in some part of the baptism during the service. And when we finished the liturgy, the prayer and the baptism of the infant, the pastor would always shout to everyone, Remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. 
And then he would reach down into the baptismal font and he would cup his hand with water and he started splashing people. Almost in a slapping motion. Remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. Well, everyone would get wet. The children gathered, the adults, even us clergy, we learned to stand back. And sometimes he would even cup both hands and go, remember your baptism, remember your baptism. He would splash everyone that was around in the chancel. And he'd go to the choir, remember your baptism, remember your baptism. And the children, they would laugh. They thought it was hilarious that a pastor was splashing everyone in church like we were all in the swimming pool. But the adults, the adults didn't like it. As a matter of fact, people learned over the years to scan through the bulletin to see if there was going to be a baptism that day because they knew they were going to sit all the way in the back of the church or all the way up in the balcony. So they didn't have to get wet. I always thought it was odd thing to say. Remember your baptism. Most of the children and teenagers and adults in the room were baptized as infants. How, how could they remember their baptism? In our scripture today, certainly John had baptized many people, but baptizing Jesus in the voice of God speaks, this was a baptism that everyone would remember for the rest of their lives. In one of those rare moments of Scripture, the Father reaches down from heaven and says, this is my Son, my beloved, in whom I, I am well pleased. Beloved, it is the word that the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible chooses to utilize as the translation of the Father's words to John the Baptist, to all the people being baptized, and even Jesus Himself to convey this important announcement from God. This is my beloved Son. Now, maybe you don't necessarily employ this word or apply it in your life. But at the moment of Jesus' baptism, the Father conveyed this life-changing identity, God's beloved. Not only is Jesus the beloved of God, but you and I, we, we are the beloved. God tells us in 1 John chapter 3, this. See what love the Father has for us that we should be called children of God. And John says, and so we are. What's interesting is that God selects not the moment of Jesus' birth, but the moment of Jesus' baptism to convey this life-changing identity. God's beloved. When's a time in your life when you felt accepted, when you felt loved like the beloved? Maybe it was through a hug or 
maybe a kind word or a kiss from a loved one or maybe a job well done or a special moment or a special person in your life. A time when you felt surrounded by love and comfort. What was it? Well, I remember when I was in kindergarten, <clears throat> I often had a difficult time learning. And I would ask my, my mom or my dad and my sister to help me tie my shoelaces. And they would lovingly show me over and over how to tie my shoelaces. But for the longest time, the longest time, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And I remember I was at recess one day. And I found myself in a predicament. My shoelace came untied. Well, not knowing how to tie my shoes, I turned to my closest classmate and asked her, would you, would you help me tie my shoe? And she looked at me, she looked at my shoes, and let out a big, Alan can't tie his shoes, Alan can't tie his shoes. And she, she sang that and, and ran around the schoolyard at recess. She skipped around over and over singing this. And my life as a kindergartner was basically over at that point. That loving affirmation in something so simple as tying a shoelace just wasn't there that day. The beloved care was absent. That beloved care that I had received from my mom and my dad and my sister to help me with something. And now... It's absent. To face life in school with such rejection. But in the playground of life, I'm sure that you've had those times when you have not felt like the beloved. Whether as a child or an adult, being taunted, betrayed, harm, hurt, disappointed, even defamed. Our status as beloved in our circle of family and friends, co-workers, or even a stranger on the street can be taken away so quickly by uttering one word or by an action. There's something in our human condition that needs this affirmation of love. We need love from others, and we need that divine love. From John, 1 John's epistle, chapter 3. That love that the Father has for us that we should be called children of God. The late Christian author and university professor, Henry Nouwen, once, once wrote a book called Life of the Beloved. And in his book, he gives us a framework about love and acceptance, and now and wrote about, and I'll illustrate here today, is that from time to time in our life, we see ourselves as trying to accept this nature of the beloved. And I got a whiteboard here, and it must be football season because I'm going to draw X's and O's. No, I'm not going to do that. But every time that we in our life from the moment like Jesus that we're born to the moment which we pass away, this whole timeline of, of our lives, we're asking the question, 
Who am I? Who am I? And now it says, there's usually three responses to this. Who am I? That in the course of life, we often struggle and we want to answer this question. And so the response is, I am what? And the first thing now it says is, I am what I do. Right? I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. I'm an author. I'm a PhD student. There are great things that I do. Makes me feel good about my life. But what happens when maybe you or I make a mistake and our identity is found in that? I am what I do. It's this thing in our life, whether it's our vocation, or maybe if we've lived a long life, we look back and say, well, this is the list of things that I do. And it helps answer the question, who am I? But then there's another second one is, to answer the question, who am I? I am what I do. The second is, I am what people say. I am what people say. And we often get a fulfillment in life when people say nice things about us, right? They say, great job the other day. You did a, a great job on that project, or, you know, you really did a nice job helping out. Or for me, people, I could have 50 or 75 people say something great. That was the, the greatest sermon I ever heard in my life. But then I have that one person that comes through and says, that was awful. It offended me. It was the worst sermon. And that one comment, it sticks with me. So you can do so many good things in life, and people can say so many great things about you, but there's always that one thing that someone says that sticks with us. And we tend to define who we are based on what people say about us. If people say good things, it makes us feel good. If people say not so great things, it makes us feel bad. Who am I? I am what I do. I am what people say I am. And the last thing is, I am what I have. I look at my life, I have a wife, I have three children, I have a roof over my head, I have transportation, I have some things in my life. But people tend to answer this question of who I am based on the accumulation of what we have in our lives. And if we have lots of stuff, or we have lots of things that make us feel good, we live in that high moment of life. But when those things are taken away, Maybe someone dies, maybe we lose something or lose our jobs. We feel like we're in a very low place, maybe even depressed. And so for now, and frames us in this life, who am I? I am what I do, I am what people say I am, and I am what I have. Now and says that we tend, when we picture our lives like this, our lives 
in the good moments of life, we're up on the timeline of our life, and the, the bad moments, we're down. And so we live life like this, going up and down all the way to our deaths. And what Nowen says is this framework of trying to live in this high zone of trying to always feel good about what I do because of what I do and because of what people say about me and because of what I have, we try to live life in this high zone. We call that surviving, right? But the now and changes things. He says that all of this is wrong. This is not the way to live life. He says this is not the way to live life. That we defy things based on what I do, what people say, what I have. Now and says that this is all wrong. And he says this is wrong because this is not the framework that God gave Jesus that I am what I do, I am what people produce, I am what people say about me, I am what I have. He says it's a powerful force and we spend lots of mental energy on this. That we try to live in this high zone. But this is not a model of thriving. It's a model just surviving. And so much pain and anxiety is spent trying to make sure people know what we do. Trying to make sure that people say good things about us and trying to accumulate things. But this is not a model for living. Because even Jesus knew this at his baptism. Because he accepted this title of the beloved from God. Where God said, you, you are my child, and you, on you, your, my favor rests. And I believe, based on 1 John 3, that we are children of God. You and I, we, we are the same beloved. We are the same loved by God, and nothing we can do, nothing we can say, nothing we can have can change that. when we lay our claim of this. You know, it's interesting. In the life of Jesus, immediately after his baptism, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's tempted by Satan. And Satan says to Jesus, turn these, breads, bread into, turn these stones into bread. He wants Jesus to jump from the temple and to command angels to save him, and he wants... Jesus to bow down and worship him, and Satan says, if you do all these things, everyone will accept you. You'll be great. And Jesus rejects this. Jesus rejects this because Jesus is more than what he can do. Jesus is more than what people say about him. Jesus is more than what he has because he has claimed his title as the beloved of God. If Jesus claims this title, we too can claim this title. Because before you were born, 
God held you in the palm of his hand, that we as sons and daughters of God are loved, that our whole lives can be turned around, that you don't have to live in the struggle of life through the highs and the lows, that we don't have to cling on to what people say about us because the fundamental reality is who cares about us above. Don't get me wrong, we're still going to have losses. We're still going to have failures. We'll still have pain and disappointments and successes. And this is why God declared through Isaiah that when we walk through the fire, we will not be consumed, for God is with us. We do not have to be afraid. That the more and more we claim our identity as God's beloved, the more that we can stop ending through life, going through drastic lows and drastic highs, just trying to stay in that zone. When we live and claim the title as God's beloved, we don't have to be anything else. We don't have to produce more. We don't have to get people to say more good things about us. We don't have to accumulate more goods. We can simply hang on and claim that identity as the beloved of God. You know, all those years ago, when that pastor I served with, when he would splash people with water and yell at them, remember your baptism, remember your baptism, I think what he was saying in effect was this. Remember, you are God's beloved. Just as Jesus was called the beloved, you are beloved. And remember that. And he, at every baptism, would use that opportunity to claim what we so desperately need to hear more and more through the highs and lows of life, through the losses, through the failures, the mistakes, is that no matter what, God loves us as his beloved. It's an epiphany we all need to live by, being the beloved of God. So when we face those moments of rejection, of pain, of loss, we don't look to the framework of what I do, what people say about me, what I have. We look back to the framework of simply being called the beloved. I am God's beloved. And when we do that in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, that we begin to prune away all those dead hearts and dead standards of the world, and we stand up and say, I am the beloved, I am a child of God. For us Christ followers, baptism is that moment. It is that demonstrative act, that symbolic cleansing of one's sins and acceptance into a new life of God. That we accept that declaration, see what love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. 
So today, as you look at your life, don't look at your value as what you can do. That's not the way God sees you. Don't look at your value of what people say about you because God doesn't use that measure. Don't look at your value of the accumulation of what you have because God doesn't use that standard. He simply uses the standard that you are his beloved. May you carve that into your life today and every day forward so that you may know as a child of God, you are loved. Let us pray. Oh God, as we have come to worship today, as we come with our whole selves, we, we know that there are things that people have said about us, things that have been done to us, standards that are set, expectations. And God, when we measure our life about who am I, God, the world tells us it's all about what we do, our profession or what our profession was. The world makes the standard about what they say about people and about what we have. But God, help us see that at the moment of baptism, you took the opportunity to declare your love for your son, that his life was proof of your love for us. So God, may we embrace this title of beloved as a way to live more freely that through the stresses of life and the anxieties of life, we can begin to put those away and we begin to take up the title as being loved by you. God, help us be reminded of that this week. When we feel like we failed you, when we failed other people, we failed our friends or our family because we don't live up to the expectation of what we do. We don't live up to the expectation of what people say about us, or we don't live up to the expectation about what we have. Simply remind us that our value comes from above as your beloved. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we have the opportunity to be welcomed to the table as God's beloved. When Jesus was preparing for his death, he prepared in such a way that he gathered his friends. And he talked about his final commandment, that they would love one another. This was an opportunity to make this love real. This table, the bread, and the cup are symbols of a deeper reality of God's love for us. The night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave a prayer, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, at the end of the meal, he took a cup, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of my blood, shed for you and for all, so that sins might be forgiven. Each time you come together, do this in remembrance of me. This morning, we invite you to take communion as you depart. You'll be offered bread and the cup together. You can take it here or bring it home with you. Please consider bringing one for a loved one or a friend that you can give communion to. And you can give it to them and tell them that they are God's beloved. Let us pray. God, as we take up the bread and the cup, symbolic of the breaking of your body and the shedding of your blood, God, we give thanks that you loved us so much that you sent your Son. God, may we be fed spiritually by this food so that no matter what we endure, when we go through the doors of this place, we carry the knowledge and carry the truth that we are your beloved. And nothing we can do, nothing we can say, or anything that we have can change that. Lift us up this day. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.